This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. One would think that an inventor should make things that work, right? I mean, they're supposed to identify a problem and build some innovative solution to fix it. Simone Yetch has been great about the first part, but intentionally shitty about the second. For most of her career as an inventor and a content creator, Simone has been the self-proclaimed queen of shitty robots. She gained a following on YouTube with inventions that were never meant to be anything more than a punchline. There was a helmet that brushes your teeth, an alarm clock that slaps you awake with a rubber arm, there was a haircutting drone, all of them just as shitty as the last. But in 2018, Simone was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Thankfully, it was non-cancerous, but there were any number of complications that could have occurred, from paralysis of the face to losing her eyesight. That ordeal put a few things into focus for her, mainly that she wanted to realize her dream of being a product designer of things that actually work. Simone admits that to some degree, she's been hiding behind her shitty robots. And in our conversation, she walks us through her pivot toward her very own store with more thoughtful products in mind. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Well, hello, Simone. How are you? I'm good. I'm very jet lagged. But other than that, I'm great. Yeah, you're patching in from Sweden. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of coffee and melatonin. Listen, hey, whatever gets you through. Yeah, totally. You obviously from Sweden and then, you know, you were California based and so you're just like visiting. Yeah, I'm still in LA. I'm going to a conference in Finland. Ooh. And then it also happened to be my brother's and my mom's birthday. So I just swoop by Sweden real quick and then I'm going to Helsinki. Oh, look at you. Just I'm just going to conference, you know, ever so casually. Oh, yeah, I love no, it. I mean, so, oh. so global. <laughs> Jet set you know, sitting here with my sunglasses on and uh, <laughs> I'm on my European tour. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I feel like you were able to go on your European tour because you have become this celebrated inventor and i would love to start by asking i mean like at what point did being an inventor come into focus for you because that's a that's a job title that i think you know sounds like what a little kid would say when they're like oh i want to be an inventor i want to be a firefighter you're actually doing it which i think is amazing so when did that come into focus yeah, sometimes it still feels a little bit like wearing a clown suit or like a costume because <laughs> you're like i'm an inventor and it, almost, it doesn't sound real but I'm also not sure how to describe what I'm what I'm doing. I wanted to be an inventor when I was a kid, but then you kind of lose sight of that because it does sound like something that doesn't really exist. And then, you know, it's not until the last couple of years that I feel like I'm actually living up to that title because I used to make like shitty robots mm -hmm. for the internet. It was all very gifable machines. And now it's kind of been more like, product design focus and i feel like I'm, I'm i'm trying to cover every base of the inventor title what were some of your earliest inventions and even before the shitty robots which we will get to but like when you think about when you were just a kid like what were some of those early inventions 
you know, it really wasn't much to write home about. <laughs> you it say was more that. Just like, Listen. Yeah. No, it was a lot of uh, me constantly moving things around in my room. I remember making a chair out of a satellite dish that I was very happy with, but it was incredibly uncomfortable because you kind of just slid out of it all the time. And you said there's nothing impressive. You made a chair out of a satellite dish. See, you know what? All right, let's reset this conversation because you're not going to do this whole self-deprecating thing because that's not anything to just, like, brush off. I'm, I'm a recovering uh, self-deprecator. Oh, God. So I, I'm trying. I'm, honestly, I'm trying to get out of it because it's, like, it's such a defense mechanism on the internet as well. Like, the way you survive being an online creator is like beating everyone to the joke and to the insult mm. and like I insult myself before you can insult me. Uh, but no, I, I've actually been really trying to practice like not talking myself down and talking down my skills, which was a part of like getting out of the shitty robots and being like, ah, I'm going to make things and everything always goes wrong because silly me. And now I'm like, no, I actually know how to make things some things and I can do them well and like trying to stand by stuff and be like, I actually think this is good, which is very scary on the internet because you're just like, here I am a target. Shoot me down. Oof, yeah. Far be it from anyone to ever say I'm an expert in something on the internet because oh, gosh. my God, but don't I mean, you dare. <laughs> don't you, it's like a death wish. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we kind of hinted at it, but I mean, yeah, you became famous for being the self-proclaimed queen of shitty robots. And so what was the lead up into that for those who don't know? Because I mean, I remember way back your earliest videos and it was just like, who is this person and why am I laughing so hard? <laughs> it was so good. So, like, what was the lead up to you turning on that camera and <laughs> making these really shitty robots? So, I was a maker in resident at an electronics company. So, my job was to make fun projects using their product. So, it was a little Arduino board with Bluetooth. So, I just, like, learned how to build things and tinker with electronics on the job. And they were super open to different projects, but I still felt very like, you know, it's hard to go wild when you're representing a brand, even if the CEO is like, no, you do whatever you want. Like if you have to defend yourself in front of a team of engineers, it's easy to shoot yourself down before right. you have even like gotten to pitching it. So I started building stuff on the side just because I thought it was fun. And because I wanted to do a kid's show about electronics was honestly the real reason. So I built mm. a toothbrush helmet, which was like a skateboard helmet. It had a little robot arm, kind of like a unicorn horn. And then at the end of it, there was a toothbrush and it like very poorly brushed my teeth. <laughs> and I posted a little gif of it or like a seven second video, I think, of it. And I posted it on slash r slash shitty robots on Reddit. And it started going viral for me then. Like, I think it got like 50,000 views. And I was like, oh my God. And I kept <laughs> on building things. And it just, honestly, it was it was six months, I think, from the toothbrush helmet until I was working full-time with my YouTube channel. And like the YouTube videos were kind of an afterthought because I was just making these gifts of these projects. Like, if you look at my early projects, everything is kind of like gifts first it's very gift forward because <laughs> i was like <laughs> inventing these things that i was like okay it needs to be clear enough and slapstick enough for people to understand what they're looking at through just the silent gift 
which is honestly, it was a great way to like hone in projects and make sure that it would like go well on the internet. And then people started requesting like more videos around it and like me explaining how I built it. So the YouTube channel kind of grew as an afterthought and was just like initially a compliment to these like little gifts that I would post on Reddit and on Twitter. What did you want back then? Like once you started your channel, once it started to gain traction, I mean, what what did you really see for yourself at that time? Yeah. Pussy power money. <laughs> it was a lot of... I honestly, you know, I got to think back on it. I really wanted to go to space. I really wanted to, you know, initially it was I wanted to have a kid's show about electronics, which mm-hmm. I very quickly abandoned because I was like, I don't want to do stuff for kids. It was just the first thing that I thought of. And I was like, I like kids. I can be with kids. You know, I, I can I can roll with that. But then I was like, nah, it's really like there are way too many dick jokes yeah. <laughs> uh, for yeah. it. And also it mm. felt it started to feel like a very cliche. I don't know how to say this in a tactful way, but it felt like a very cliche path forward for a woman inventor. Because it's always like people are always like, oh, she's doing it to be educational or to like inspire young girls. And me being a sucker for always like wanting not to do what people expect of me. I was like, no, I'm not going to be educational at all. And I'm not doing it for kids. Fuck kids. <laughs> Fuck them kids. <laughs> yeah. But then also like, I, I, I love kids. No, but it's always like, and like, if somebody sends me a video of like a little girl who has made something, like I will cry. So I, I won't pretend that I'm immune to I mean, it. Of course. Come on. <laughs> but you know, I was like, I don't want to do kids shows. I don't want to like do that so i think after that it was just really like learning how to build things and making people laugh about engineering and kind of like bring some levity into engineering because it was very intimidating to me Mm. like building things and learning about robotics and for me like bringing in humor into it was a way to take the pressure off of myself so I think that was, was kind of my main goal, but it's changed and shifted a lot, yeah. which I'm kind of happy about. Like, it's a moving target, what I want to do. Right. And I think that's important to note because you didn't study engineering. I mean, you you studied physics briefly, but then dropped out. And so do you think you'd be where you are if you did study it? Because I think this is something that I hear from a lot of friends, like in, you know, uh, different fields, like art, for example, like studying it almost beats out the the joy in a way. And there's a lot to be said for. <laughs> no, you know, I remember. So when I worked at this electronics company and I like really wanted to learn things about electronics. And I remember talking to the engineers, like the electrical engineers who worked at the company. And I was like, to me, as like a very nerdy person who wanted to learn about electronics, they were like superheroes. And I was like, oh my God, you have so many skills and so much knowledge. Like, what are you going to do with all this potential? And I remember them being like, I don't know, I'm just kind of doing my job. And I was like, but what, you can do like anything. (laughs) And I do think... Not you being a hype person for engineers. <laughs> you can do. <laughs> you can You're the do flavor flavor of engineers. What can, what can you do? Look at all these immense possibilities. Like people should definitely go to school and study stuff. I'm not in any way like oh drop out and start do a startup. But I think it would have killed the joy for me a little bit because to me it wasn't. It never really felt like a job, and I never had to do that. It was just always like okay, these are the things I need to learn to build this thing that I really want to build. And it was very joy-driven in a way. So yeah, 
I don't know. But ask me in a parallel universe. Hey, you know, once you get to space, you can ask yourself. How about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so you had this, you know, really popular YouTube channel. You're invited to do a TED Talk. You're on Stephen Colbert. And then in 2018, you upload a video simply titled, I have a brain tumor, which unfortunately was not clickbait. And well, first of all, I mean, how are you? I'm honestly great. I'm Good. coming up on my four-year anniversary of the surgery, uh, which feels really crazy because yeah. it both feels longer ago and shorter ago if that's grammatically correct um i'm not allowed to do headstands listen you know the lord giveth and taketh away but that's a pretty small price to pay you know i'm kind of okay with that hey. compromise in terms of like how bad things could yeah. have gotten <laughs> it's fine it's fine i'll you should take it you should take it just you know don't push your luck in that regard yeah, i wasn't doing a lot of headstands pre-brain surgery Anyway, so maybe I could do headstands with a helmet. Ooh, I can build something. I was gonna say, what are you, what are we talking about? Like, you could solve your way out of this conundrum. I am. I, I listen. If anybody can build a helmet to protect a surgery-addled head to do a headstand, yeah. it's you. So I'm just thinking of it like almost like a neck brace helmet combo and that has a very flat top. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Simone inventing on the fly right now. You can't see her. She's like gesturing, like she's sketching this out in her head. And I love it. Honestly, I kind of really want to make it like, imagine it almost like a, a football like chest piece, mm. but then it has like a neck brace and this helmet. So I'm taking most of the weight on my shoulders. Listen. And then I can do headstands again. Ooh. See, even as someone who has not had a brain tumor, I would want that because I remember as a kid doing headstands and it just, it kills your neck. So I'm like, yeah, if we could take the pressure off of it, yeah. we'll talk later. We're going to, this is a collab. It doesn't even have to be like you wearing it, even though that would be kind of fun. I imagine like this like very flat top oh my God. helmet. I see um, the vision. It even just be a little station that you have up against your wall and you go and you kind of do it. I yeah, see we'll, we'll this. Talk. Okay, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. But in that, I'll send you a prototype before yeah. I turn it into a product. Oh my god, I would love it. I'm not even kidding. I would absolutely love that. Um, but in the video, you said something that I found really interesting. You said, "I'm trying to see this as a perfect opportunity to practice not worrying about stuff." And I thought that was interesting because so often these major life events force us to see things in new ways, and so. When you think back to this whole ordeal of the diagnosis, the surgery, you know, radiation, the growing back, and, you know, now you're four years out from it, what perspective would you say that you gained from going through all of that? Honestly, it's like, it's a little bit hard to talk about surgery, not because I feel sensitive about it, but because I feel like I have to make it very clear that this is coming from someone who got out of it pretty unscathed. Like I didn't get any brain damage. I woke up feeling just as smart or as stupid as I was before. I can move everything. I like, I came out with very, very um, limited consequences off of it. So from that position, you know, whenever, whenever something that feels really bad happens, kind of my go-to practice and like the thing that I'm always trying to hold on to is like, all I want to make sure is that in a couple of years, I'm happy that this happened because I will be able, and that's like breaking up with somebody or losing your job or 
these things that have happened, they kind of felt out of my control. And I'm like, okay, the only thing I can make in control or be in control of is I want to make sure that this has unintended positive consequences that I'm really happy for. And that in, at some point I'm going to be like, oh, I wouldn't want to live without that experience. Mm. And I feel like I'm definitely at that stage now, which is crazy. Like I can't recommend going through brain surgery. I read it two out of 10 stars. It sucked. Two it, was, it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> but what two stars are you giving brain surgery? I guess maybe a chance to slow down. I don't know. It was a, okay. It was a chance to slow down. A lot of strangers on the internet sent me gifts. Oh, see, that's, that's kind of great. Which honestly was like one of the nicest things in like a very dark time. I was like getting so many little care packages from around the world, which Aww. I feel like I'm giving you way more transparency than I should now. But that did actually make me really happy. And like, honestly, it was a way to feel that a lot of relationships became real during that time because i've kind of gone through life not being in a position where you like really need someone like i've never had a part of my life where i really needed my friends mm. or i really needed my family and this was a time where i i could not have gone through it by myself yeah. like i needed help showering i needed help like holding everything together i needed help making sure that i ate all my medicine and that i was fed and having people show up for me in such a real way was it was the first time where I was like, Oh, this is like what friends are for. And this is what family is for. So in some way it was really, it was a way where human relationships felt very real and essential in a way that they don't do when you're young and you're like healthy and you're like, I'm fine. Right. I can do it by myself. And you're like, no, this is really real. But I do think it also was a really important shift for me in my focus because that was the first step away from making shitty robots because it was a part of my life where I didn't feel very silly anymore. Like, I mean, it was, it was hard. It takes a long time to recover from. I really didn't feel like having things flying in my face. Fair. <laughs> and I had such limited energy capital and it really kind of put into clarity what I wanted to spend time on. And that was building these slightly more thoughtful projects, if that's the right adjective. And I think for me, it was, yeah, it was really like a way to step back. And I feel like in some way, the pandemic has had a similar effect. You have a lot of things taken away from you and you kind of have to pick and choose or you get to pick and choose which one you want to fight to get back. And I realized that some of those things that I'd taken away from me, I was like, I don't know if I want that back. Mm. Like I was on a really hectic travel schedule. I was trying to do so many different things. I was pushing myself really hard. And it taught me to be softer to myself. It taught me to redefine what good means because before good was like pushing myself really hard and working really hard. And when you're recovering from a health problem, suddenly good is listening to your body and resting when it needs to. After the break, Simone goes into what's on the other side of her pivot away from shitty robots and why she's thinking about getting rid of her greatest invention to date. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You know, you mentioned 
making more thoughtful projects. And you absolutely did that because the same year, like in 2018, you launched a Kickstarter for the Everyday Calendar, which is this really swanky light up calendar that's meant to track your progress for whatever goal that you've set. And it was a big deal because, you know, as you mentioned, it was a shift toward making something a little bit more thoughtful toward making a product that was not only not shitty, but that you were selling. And so what was that switch like for you? Because it's one thing to make more thoughtful projects, but then it's another thing to say like, hey, please buy this, maybe, possibly, please support this. But I think everything is kind of related because that comes back to the brain tumor as well because it made me reassess what my current business structure was. Mm. And like wanting to make products went deeper than that. I mean, I've wanted to do product design for a really long time. I just wasn't at a stage where I was taking myself seriously enough to be like, no, I can actually do this and I can... I can make really, I can make beautiful, thoughtful things. But it was also just when you're a creator on the internet, you're a, a YouTuber or an influencer. If you're not well enough to be in front of a camera or on a stage, everything stops. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredibly brittle business model that comes with a lot of pressure. And for me, it's like, I'm really trying to build a business where I know that if I don't feel like it when I wake up in the morning, that's okay. Like, I never want to feel like I'm forced to do something. I never want to feel like I'm forcing myself to perform on camera or that I'm feeling that pressure because I need to pay people salaries and stuff. So I was really looking to like the brain tumor was a great wake up call to be like, I need to diversify these businesses to make it sustainable and to make sure that I can still have it be joy driven and not something that I'm like, oh, I have to do this even if I don't feel like it. So for me, that was like, oh, I want to make products. And the Everyday Calendar was a first venture into that. And now we've launched the App Store and expanded it, which is like, you know, I've been texting with my product team all morning. And it's like everything from like, oh, we're having scratches on the puzzle boxes, or we need barcodes on these. And it's 10,000 labels that we've already printed, and we need to stick them all on by hand. You know, it's like, it's just so many different things and problem solving on such a nitty gritty level. And I just love it. Like, I think it's so fun. Ask me in five years, maybe I'll be like, oh, fuck that. I can't, I can't be bothered. (laughs) I'm just so stoked to be trying out this new business endeavor and be able to, you know, because for me, it was like, I I realized like YouTube doesn't feel like an end goal for me. Mm. Like, I don't want to grow the channel just for the sake of growing the channel or have that as my goal of like, oh, I want to be huge or have videos with a bunch of views. And then it's like, okay, but then what do I want to use it for? And for me, it was like, I want to make products and I want to use my YouTube channel as an R&D department Mm. because that's kind of how I'm using it anyway. So I can make projects on YouTube and I have a reason and an incentive to constantly have a build output and I don't have to feel guilty about that. And then if there's something there that I think has potential as a product, I can pass it over to the product team. We can develop it as a product, we can manufacture it, and then I can pass it over to the YouTube channel and I can market it to people there. So it's kind of, it feels like it's two businesses that can kind of seamlessly coexist and support each other, which I'm just so stoked to see how it evolves over the next 10 years. That's interesting. Because I was going to ask, I mean, what is your relationship to content creation now? And that's, that's, that's it right there. I think that's so fascinating. Huh? Yeah, it's just honestly like the the YouTube channel and making content, it's it's just my playground. You know, it's my excuse to constantly be trying new things and learning new skills and have a build output. 
And then it's also really early audience testing. Like it's kind of being able to tick a lot of these boxes that you need in a product design business. And, you know, I still, I love making videos and now it's gotten another purpose beyond just liking videos because at some point you run out of narcissism and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel like I want to like project myself onto a bunch of people and be like, Oh yeah, tell me I'm good. Um, and, and now it's been like, it has another purpose than me just being like, Oh, look at me. Yeah. You know? Right. And were you worried that you'd lose some of your audience who only wanted you to keep making shitty things? I was, I was really concerned about being pigeonholed and that people would leave, but I feel like it's weird. I feel like I've kind of trained my audience to be okay with it. And they're like, the nicest people on the internet to be honest they're just like excited about me being excited which i feel very very fortunate about but then also like the thing you gotta like the most important thing as a content creator i think is that you're happy with the things you're making and if you lose some people if you shift a little bit then you might gain some other people so it's just like you can't just always be making things for a group of people to be happy with it like if you're interested in things, you probably find people who are interested in it too, and your audience might shift over time, and that's okay. Yeah. So would you say that's the North Star for a successful rebrand, a successful pivot? Because, you know, there's a lot of creators who gain success with a s- certain shtick, and they feel this pressure to keep giving more of the same, even if they want to branch into something else. So what is the key to have a successful pivot, if there even is one? I mean, growing a brain tumor is a great palate cleanser hey now you know stand in front of that microwave just kidding that's been debunked many times how how does one get a cluster of wayward cells apparently it took me like a decade to grow mine you're special it was it was a long process slow burn a lot of work yeah uh yeah i can't recommend it still two two out of ten stars Uh, but you know the, the way i thought about it and that i've been thinking about it is like for me shitty robots it was a spear like it was very pointed. It's an incredibly easy story to tell. It was a really easy concept for people to grasp, easy headline for journalists to write. Like she's the woman who builds shitty robots. She's the queen of shitty robots. So it was like from a branding perspective, and this is all like an afterthought. This was not some strategy on my end, but from like a branding perspective, having that really simple story and that simple hook or that shtick is so powerful in the beginning but then once you're established enough that's when you can broaden it because and that's that's when you can kind of expand the repertoire of what you're doing because for one it's for longevity of career for yourself to be interested in what you're doing and also for your audience to keep being interested in what you're doing because you can't be like beating a dead horse and make the same joke over and over again but i really felt like i got to a point where i was like I think it's okay to start blurring the message of who I am and what I'm doing and kind of broadening it a little bit. And that's the thing. It's all at the detriment. I think if I would have kept on building shitty robots, I would probably have a bigger YouTube channel now. And if I kind of kept with that shtick, it's still like a really easy headline to write. But I'm like, for myself and for my longevity of my career and for my happiness and creative satisfaction, I really felt like broadening it was really important and it was what I wanted to do. So. I think it's like really important to have that very simple story in the beginning 
that people can latch onto and then you can kind of expand from there. But I remember I was so scared of being pigeonholed in the beginning. It was always something that I was nervous about because I was like, I'm going to run out of ideas and it's going to start getting harder and I'm going to start not wanting to do it. And if I don't really like find ways of, of, of expanding what I'm doing, I'm going to get stuck. And I, I want to make sure that I'm the first person who gets sick of it. Mm. Like I, I'll probably get sick of it before anyone else. And I want to make sure that I have a way out. And now I really feel like I've kind of made it like unpredictable in a sense where I feel like if I wake up tomorrow and I'm like, I want to just make videos about orchids, like I could find a way to incorporate that. Or I'm like, I'm really interested in animal behavior. And I'm like, oh, I could find ways of incorporating that. And I could build machines to help train animals. And I could try to find other solutions and creative ways to bring that interest into what I'm doing. So, yeah. I would love to talk about Yet, which you mentioned earlier, which is your product store that you recently launched. And I was curious, I mean, how has it been for you translating this brand that you've built online to actual products to sell? Because one thing that I love about it is like the projects still have some humor to them, like selling an all white puzzle with one missing piece, which is just sadistic. (laughs) It's the most wholesome villain thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, <laughs> it's so petty. It's, it's so, so petty. petty. And like, you know, you have your screw rings, which I'm upset because they don't have my size. I actually really would have loved. We are expanding the sizes because we just made a guesstimate of what the size range we're going to be. We're going to add size 11, 12, and 13. I love the fact that you're being inclusive of people with sausage fingers. Thank you so much. <laughs> Our people, thank you. Our yeah. people really thank you uh you're welcome (laughs) because i would that's something that i'd actually use like really because i'm always doing like little things around my house and i'm like that's genius like having you know like a phillips head screwdriver as a ring that's great and so i mean what has it been like for you like translating these your this brand of you know fun inventive things to like actual products to sell like where where's that intersection of like this is still very much like the Simone Yetch, like aesthetic and brand, but this is also something that I think people would want to buy. Like, where is that intersection for you? So I think it's, you know, for, for one, it's been a really long process. It's been the last two years that I've been working on this mm. brand. It took me almost a year just to, I mean, we've been like slowly been working on it, but it took me almost a year to come up with the name. And I went through so many logos and, you know, I, always go through thinking that I need to find somebody who can do it for me. So I'm like, I need to work with a designer. I need to work with somebody who can do the website layout. I need to work with somebody who can do the photography, somebody who can do the copywriting. And then I get like samples from a bunch of people. And then I'm like, I'm just going to do it myself. So almost everything we've ended up doing ourselves, which I'm really happy about because there's an important distinction that the Yet store, it's not merchandise. Like I want it to be relevant to people who don't know who I am or who don't care about who I am. But at the same time, I want people who do know who I am and care about that to be able to feel me throughout or like to see that it is from me and it has a lot of those, that same type of humor or that same aesthetic. But I really wanted it to be kind of a more grown up version of what I do. And it felt like sometimes like an impossible brief because I really didn't want, I wanted it to be funny, but not silly. Mm. And I wanted it to be 
expensive or like kind of designy, but not pretentious or snobby and like a little bit gritty and cool, but at the same time polished. So I felt like I kind of gave myself this impossible brief as a fledging like brand developer, but I'm really happy with where it's landed. And I feel like the name Yatch is kind of that perfect combination of that it's Funny if you know that it's a joke because it's spelled the way my last name is pronounced. Right. So my last name, G-I-E-R-T-Z, is inexplicably pronounced Yatch. Just catfishing. Which makes no sense in any <laughs> language I have found so far. Like, I think my ancestors were just trolls. <laughs> and sense. so the store is Y-E-T-C-H dot store. <laughs> so it's like, it's a joke, but it's not silly. Like, it's not childish. And I really didn't want it to look like a kid's museum. Because that's like the initial branding that everyone is thinking for me. And that I've kind of, the, the bracket and the category I've, I've like, involuntarily put myself it's like it's like the colorful cog wheels and really fun colors and it's a pegboard <laughs> with like monochrome uh, like tools hanging on it and that's like great and fun but i'm also like i want it to be something that i would actually want to buy yeah so i've kind of made it for a target group of one which is me so what do you how big do you see this going because i mean you're still a really small team this you know this is a very like you said, lengthy endeavor, very challenging endeavor. So how big do you see this really becoming? You know, it's tricky because I don't really see that as a goal. Like for me, the goal is to make things I'm proud of. Hmm. And if I can make things I'm really proud of and do it in what I feel is a really honest way and like a decent way, then I would be willing to have it as big as possible. But like what I've never want is for something to feel like it's out of my control and it kind of grows into this organization that I feel like it doesn't treat people well or it's too big where it kind of has a mind of its own. I don't know. For me, it's I have this vision of where I want to be when I'm 47. So specific. And I want to run an innovation house. I'm 31 now. I want the Yet Store to be kind of a, a product business R&D lab. I want to have my own workshop and I want to have a team of engineers that I can like, I can make a prototype of a product and I can throw it over to them and be like, let's see if this is something. And then I want to have people bring me samples. And then I'm the one who's like, I don't like the look of that button and let's change that blue or let's try it this way. The goal isn't to become the next Ikea to the sorrow of my manager who's just like, let's take over the world. And I'm like, only if we can do it in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, it's just like, I just want to make unique products and make stuff that I want and that I think will bring people joy. And that's really the goal for it. And if that can be a sustainable business, then that's amazing. Hmm. So when's the truck look coming to the Yetch store? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never but at some point i might sell her really no oh, i mean well you can make yeah. a lot of money if you sold it because that is for those who don't know the truckla this such and such of inventor uh decided to <laughs> turn her tesla into a pickup truck and yeah. just that was oh what a time on the internet that was that was fantastic <laughs> so wait so you i mean you still have it but like why would you want to sell it i love her so much she, she's amazing. <laughs> no but it's also like the thing is 
she's a liability. She's my daily driver. Mm. But whenever I drive her, I like find photos of me driving on the freeway on uh. Reddit. And there was like all this stuff where I'm like, this is not a great way to have a car like i need an incognito car yeah. uh not that people care about me like people care about the car and they have no idea who i am but it's yeah so sometimes i'm just like it's not i can't i can't have her as my daily driver at least Fair. and then it's like i could sell her and like maybe buy a house instead <sighs> for the money you know so it's it, but it, but also I'm like, I love her and I love having her and she's brought me so many fun opportunities. And I still, I want to like take her to all the car shows and do all the races. And, you know, there's so many things I still want to do uh, with her, but I'm thinking maybe in a couple of years, I might sell her to somebody who's going to take better care of her than I would ever do because <laughs> I'm rough on my gear. <laughs> so sad. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think you can get rougher than taking like, a saw to a Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you started out rough. I don't think you can get rougher. I than know. No, I started apart off a by peeing my trunk. You absolutely did to ease the pain, I which I get my it. Trunk because I was like, <laughs> yeah, this is not that, that trunk still, it hangs in my workshop above the door <laughs> as a reminder, because I was like, I'm going to cut out this trunk anyway. And I want to make sure I don't back out. So I keyed her and it hurt my soul oh, on such a deep level. But you know, it was destruction in honor of construction. And so to kind of sum up like what we've been talking about, I mean, you have had this really interesting trajectory on as a creator. And so what do you think or what do you hope this trajectory represents in the creator economy? Because we weren't really talking about the creator economy like around the time you joined YouTube. And now it's become, even though it existed, obviously, it's been in the zeitgeist, in the conversation nonstop. And so this trajectory, this pivot that you had, I mean, like, what do you think, what do you hope it, it represents for people who have been following your career? I mean, I doubt that anyone would care enough, but no, we're not doing the self You know, what I think is really interesting about the creator economy and it being such a young industry is that we haven't really seen like end of life isn't the right word for it or expression for it. But like, we haven't really seen what people do beyond content creation or I don't know. It's like, what do you do when you've been on the platform for 10 years and you want to diversify or you want to try something different? Like the, the thing about it is that it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Like you have hmm. this platform that you can use as a tool to accomplish almost anything you want. And for me, that has been to start this product business. So I really hope it can be a way for people to see that like the following that you have, it doesn't just have to be an end goal. Like you can really use it to, I'm going to sound so cheesy, but like you can use it to make your dreams come true. And it's all about like, what do I want to use these opportunities for? So I'm really happy with like finding a way to mold this into a career path that I feel like I can sustain until I retire. I realized like I wouldn't want to do YouTube when I'm 47. Like I wouldn't want to do that full time and just be a YouTuber. And then what do I want to do? And this feels like it's a way to combine and kind of leverage that into accomplishing this other goal while still like doing YouTube because I really like it. And I think it's fun. And it's like very keeps me on my creative toes. Yeah, I think it's just like, there's so many different paths to go down. 
And the end goal of it doesn't just have to be to get more followers for the sake of getting more followers or trying to become as famous as possible or increasing your value as a human billboard, which is kind of the end goal of like influencing. Like you can use it for all these other things and to accomplish these other goals that you might have. A human billboard. That sounds like another creation, to I be know. perfectly honest. Like, I'm not <laughs> you know lie. that to tie it back to like the brain surgery stuff. I was at a point maybe going to lose one of my eyes and I was maybe going to have to wear an eye patch. And I am so happy that I don't have to do that. But I do remember thinking, and this is like too much insight into my brain maybe, but I was like, I could sell logo spots on my eye patch. <sighs> And I could have like your logo here. Oh my god! Which is maybe too dark. And, but no. I was just like, I was like, yeah, I'll find a way to get on top of this. Uh-uh. Like, it would be great no. for branding. You know, you're like an inventor with an eye patch. I'll I'll be able to roll with that. I'll still add spots on it. And then you're like, okay, I am too chronically trying to see the upside of this. If you did, thank again. Thankfully, we didn't, it didn't get to that point. But can you imagine if you sold ad space on an eye patch like Bausch and Lomb or some like eye care company? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, it's definitely. And I'm like, oh, I'm taking this like human billboard to a whole new level. <laughs> hey, if people wrap their cars in advertising, I mean, why not an eye yeah, patch? Yeah. I mean, why not an eye patch? No. I break my arm, I'll sell logo spots on my calf. You know, you know? Mis- turning misfortune into fortune. That's the Simone Yetch way. There's always an upside. <laughs> you just got to tap those minor, minor upsides and focus on them. Oh, my God. Also, this has been, oh, so much fun. I, I really appreciate your time. And I eagerly look forward to collaborating on our headstand. Um, yeah, it's because it's gonna be a game changer for a very small group of people. Hey, if you can just touch one person, I know you touched me today, Simone. Thank you, oh, <laughs> thank you for seeing well, me. You're, it's what I'm here for, and thank you ex- for expanding uh, the rings to the Sausage Finger Brigade. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he looks like he has a little bit of a weak neck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you. For the record, you do not look your your neck looks great, and your fingers do not look like sausage fingers. I do have a weak neck, but you know, oh man, yeah, no, I do, I do, and that's okay, you know. And this is why we need you. This is why I need this. Oh my god, I feel like I did so well throughout this podcast, and now I just ruined it. Not at all. No, ruined it by speaking the truth. I don't think so. (laughs) I do have a week. Your neck is great. No, it's fine. But Simone, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's all for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure you rate and comment as well. We always love hearing from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Matt Toder. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Deputy editor David Litsky provided editorial oversight for this episode, as well as senior VP of entertainment Scott Mebus. 